0: This is a life and times of video game soundbite, I'm Richard Moss. Often when I interview people for games history articles and podcasts, I'll ask a few questions that I don't expect to use at all in the finished piece. Some of those questions are about life and culture at a company, to help me with my framing and tone, to give me a sense of how things were and how things worked, so that I can better contextualise the story that I'm telling. And what you're about to hear is one such example from my interview with Nintendo Power founding editor Gail Tilden for a Polygon feature I wrote last year, where I recounted the Game Boy's launch in the West, as seen by the marketing folks at Nintendo of America at the time, and the launch of its two biggest games, Tetris and Pokemon. I'll have a link to the article in the show notes, but for now, I hope you enjoy this little slice of life from mid-1980s Nintendo of America.
1: You know, I had worked, um, gotten into marketing while working at Britannia Sportswear, which was a large, um, the first fashion jeans company which was in Seattle. My boss had gone over to Nintendo and she recruited me there. Uh, so she said that they were, she was working in, have you ever heard of Donkey Kong? I'm working for the Donkey Kong company and um i want you to come over and like i'm i'm going to be going on maternity leave and i have just got to get someone in here as soon as i can cuz i you know i'm going to be gone for a few months and um anyway so that's how it happened
0: okay, and what was nintendo like uh nintendo of america like in those days
1: it was a very small company and also i guess i was very excited to think that a japanese company in video games would be extremely high tech and that we would all have you know, I have all these computers and really they had like an Apple IIe in the closet or something to do billing for arcade games. It wasn't high tech at all, but yeah, it was a very, it was very small. They were doing a lot of manufacturing actually at Nintendo in terms of assembly, uh, into the cabinets and, um, you know we had a few people in marketing and a few people in accounting but the lowest headcount i think while i was there was in around 1984 i think we had 35 people and i think that had dropped a little bit because um the arcade game market had peaked somewhat and then the uh You know, I think everybody kind of pitched in and did everything because, you know, we had so few staff that you would be able to, you know, if you're working on marketing and I can remember being at, you know, some kind of trade show and you're blowing up balloons. Well, of course, you're blowing them up yourself because it's not like we had 10 assistants to to do everything. So, you know, people pitched in and kind of a lot of uh, cross pollination and, we we also, it was very interesting because there were only a few people that spoke Japanese or came from Japan, and without any internet or, you know, really even something like FedEx would have been very new. We, we had DHL, but, you know, there were a few faxes going back and forth, but most things had to take a couple of days to communicate between Japan and the U.S. or in the evening, the very few Japanese staff would relay the communication by phone, and then you know provide information or direction from there. So, like we we were also working on game and watch games, and um, some what was called tabletop, little teeny mini arcade games uh, that were like toys or toyetic, and um, just even anything like doing an instruction manual or changing the. Any language on the screen, uh, that kind of thing, was a very, you know, cumbersome uh, path to communicate between Japan and uh, the U.S. So the markets, and as we evolved, and and Nintendo also had product in Europe that Nintendo of America was responsible for at the time. You know, it was very uh segregated markets, you didn't have to worry that the consumer would know exactly what was happening in one market and say, "Oh, how come we're not getting that here?" You know it was very you could manage those things very separately, and that is also something that's quite different from today and even imagine that the technology of when you're doing marketing there was no such thing as what we called later called desktop publishing. There there wasn't something where you could just take a computer and make a graphic file and uh, print a print ad or, you know, make a magazine or that kind of thing. Everything was done in an extremely low-tech kind of a manual process where you would have to fit things together with actual film. And... um, It's hard to explain that to people today, what it means to have to make film and something called color separations and um, scanning every single image uh, by these huge scanners in order to create the printing film. Um, People actually just used exacto knives and, uh, you know, created what would eventually be a magazine spread, for example, so it was really a very different – it just was a very different time. And the acceleration in the 90s into both the online world and the ability to use tools like Max to make you know, computer-generated layouts and to make changes on the fly um, was really like a, a very, very major shift in how you could accomplish marketing tasks.
0: For more soundbites like this, you can head to my website at lifeandtimes.games and click on soundbites. Or better yet, to get access to some extra subscriber-only soundbites and other bonus material, support me on Patreon via lifeandtimes.games donate. Until next time, my name is Richard Moss. Thanks for listening.